So good to have everyone back tonight. We do have a good crowd tonight and a wonderful opportunity to be able to study the book of Philippians. And tonight we're going to talk about our heavenly citizenship. By way of introduction, I would like to ask each of us to think about how do we value our own citizenship in this country. You and I are among the most blessed people on the face of this planet by the virtue of the fact that we are citizens of the United States of America. There are many people in many places in this world who would love to be a citizen of the United States. In fact, this afternoon I watched a documentary or at least a report on those people who are a part of the caravan who've left Honduras and are making their way toward the United States. The person who was preparing the report was trying to do so to expose the people who were a part of the caravan. that They were not coming here for the purpose of fleeing uh, persecution in their country, but they were coming here for economic reasons. And many of them were making the statement, we want to come to the United States so you and I can be able to have an endless opportunity. That if we come here and we work hard, then we'll be able to make a good life for ourselves and be able to enjoy the blessings that are a part of this country. And you and I ought at least be thankful for the fact that, as Brother Lee Flat used to say, our lot has been cast in this area. And uh, some are willing to pay money to get here, and even more once they become uh, come to our country to become citizens. In fact, it's my understanding that it cost them somewhere around $5,000 per person just to become a citizen of our country. And you can say, well, what does that have to do with our lesson? I'd like for you to compare that with what we read in Acts 22 in verses 27 and 28. While Paul is standing before one of the centurions or the commanders, the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum I obtained this citizenship. Paul said, but I was born a citizen. You and I, that's for the majority of us and perhaps even every one of us here tonight, that is the way we became citizens of this country. That is, we were born here, our parents were citizens, and you and I became citizens. Well, if we go to Philippians chapter 3 and verses 15 through verse 21, we are given three things that Paul discusses. The first one he's going to talk about is a mindset. We would say a way of thinking. And we find that first of all. Second of all, he's going to talk about a model. Saying, look at me and look at those of us who are trying to serve the Lord. Use us as a model do not look at those who are enemies of the cross and use them as a model. And then finally, he's going to talk about a motivation. And that motivation is getting to go to heaven. Why do you and I want to be Christians? Why do we want to have the right attitude so that ultimately we can get to go to heaven and be with our Heavenly Father throughout eternity? Let's begin with the mindset and let's read together verses 15 and 16. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, 
God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Now as you begin to approach this, you recognize that Paul is saying there's two different mindsets involved here. There's one that is the mature mindset, the one that is seeking to try to grow and pursue a higher level of life. And then there's that other mindset that I would just term immature, the one that doesn't appreciate the direction. In fact, if you think very carefully, Paul has talked a lot about the mind in the book of Philippians. Do you remember in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Think like he thought. Here Paul is saying there's a mindset that you and I ought to have, the way we ought to think. Well, what mindset does Paul have in mind? Well, it's the mature one. Or if you want to use the other term, it's perfect one. But that relates to the context of what we studied last Sunday evening. You remember in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Not that I'm already perfected. I have not reached the state of complete maturity, but that doesn't mean that I don't keep pressing on. He says, no one knows it all. No one of us has it under control. None of us can say, I am completely mature. However, you have to seek maturity. If I were to ask each of you, are you a perfect parent? You'd have to say, no, I've made my mistakes. But does that mean that because you're not a perfect parent, you don't seek to be a better one? If I were to ask you, are you a perfect child in your family? And you would say, well, no, I've disappointed my parents at times. That doesn't mean you don't seek to be the best child you possibly can be. When it comes to being a Christian, what kind of mindset do you have? Is your mindset toward that of growing or is it toward that of I'm just going to remain immature? When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said in chapter 14 and verse 20, Brethren... Do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. When it comes to trying to grow spiritually, what does God want out of us? He wants us to have a childlike faith. He wants us to have a childlike willingness to forgive. But when it comes to understanding and growing in knowledge and being more Christ-like, He wants us to seek maturity. The Hebrew writer in chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, talks about the growth that ought to have occurred. And he said, solid food or meat belongs to those who are full age. That is, those even who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We grow to the point where we know what's right and we know what's wrong. We know what God would desire out of us. You think back in your life when you first became a Christian. How much did you know about what God wanted you to do? Oh, you had some basic ideas. But the more you read your Bible, the more you grow, the more you attend Bible class, the more you participate 
And you say, now I have a better understanding of what God desires from me. But you see, Paul recognizes there's some who are not thinking that way. In fact, he says, you're thinking otherwise. Those who do not feel that they need to attain a level of maturity, he said, God will reveal this to you soon. You'll learn soon enough. Remember several years ago, Brother Winford Claiborne came in on a Thursday and visited with me. And he was frustrated. And he said, Brother Tony, last night I was teaching the book of Ephesians. And he said, a person made the comment in class, well, I don't want to know as much as you do. And he said, I shook my head. Why would anyone make a statement, I don't want to know that much. I don't want to understand that much. He said, I want to understand it all. He says, I don't do it, but he says, I want it. I'm seeking for it. I want to grow. In fact, the truth is, and I think it's sad that many people just want to know enough to get by. I don't want to know every book of the Bible. I don't want to understand everything in them. But if you'll just tell me what I need to know to get to heaven so I can just pass the test, oh, that's not the right attitude at all. Whatever level you have attained, Paul says, to whatever degree, he says you go onward. Every one of us have room for growth. You may have been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, but you still got room to grow. You don't sit back and say, I've reached my maturity. I'm beyond everyone else. And so, no, he says, you keep going. And all Christians should live by this same rule. And Galatians 6 and verse 16, Paul would write, As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Everybody should walk by that same rule of wanting to grow. That's the mindset that he has in mind, that he wants us all to have that ambition, that drive, that enthusiasm for our spiritual growth. Now, second of all, he's going to talk about a model. And let's read together verses 17 through 19. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now Paul says if you really want to step back and appreciate this mindset that I'm talking about, he said you need to look at us as an example. And when he says my example and us as a pattern, He's trying to say, you've you got someone that you can look at and see. Now, for most of us, we need good role models. We need somebody that we can look at and say, now that's what a Christian really ought to be. You and I should be able to look at our brothers and our sisters in Christ and say, that's what I want to be. The word used for example 
comes from the word which we get our English word mimic, to copy, to, we would say mock, but in the sense of do what they do. Maybe when they, they smile, you smile. When they frown, you frown. Uh, when they look away, you look away. You, you, you're following what they're doing. The word he uses for pattern is the word we get our, our English word type from. So the idea like you have a typewriter and it has a, a T and it strikes the paper and it makes that mark there. And so the original over here that makes its copy makes its mark. It makes a pattern that resembles the original. But it's important to choose the right type of person to use as a model. This morning in class we were discussing Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 where he says, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in manner of life, in spirit, in pure faith, in purity. And Paul is trying to say, Timothy, you need to be a role model that others can look at. Now isn't it wonderful when you can have young people who themselves become the example for others to follow? Yes, we do have role models in this life, but it matters whom you pattern your life after. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not that we do not have this authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Paul is saying, look and see the way we acted when we were with you. We were not trying to take advantage of you. That's the way Christians ought to act. So we don't take advantage of other people. The mindset that Paul is trying to prevail upon them is one where you look and you say, we ought to live so others can model their lives after us. In 3 John, verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. You imitate the good people. You don't imitate the bad ones. I think it's sad today in our society so many of the people that are held up as role models are musicians and sports figures, and many of them have such fatal flaws in their character that they're not good role models for us or our children. But then he talks about walking in footsteps. In whose footsteps will you want to walk? Paul and those who are striving to go to heaven or those he describes as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's going to turn toward those bad ones, and he's going to describe how they walk. He said, whose end is destruction. You keep following where they go, you walk in their steps. You often heard the phrase, well, if your friends would jump off a cliff, would you jump off with them? When you start looking where these people go, do you want to follow them to destruction? Do you want to follow them all the way to hell? Because that's going to be important with our third lesson. Whose God is the belly? That is, everything is about self-satisfaction. There's no sacrificial giving. 
In other words, it's all about what makes me happy, whose glory is their shame. The things that they highlight as being valuable and important to them, he said it's their shame. And then he finally summarizes it by again mentioning the mind, the way of thinking, who set their mind on earthly things. That's what they think about. That's what they dwell upon. We have people in this world whose mindset is heaven. We have people who are here on this earth whose mindset is, what can life give me? What joy, what pleasure can I derive from it? And that's what I'm going to pursue. Now Paul is saying, okay, you've got these two mindsets. You've got these two models. Which are you going to follow? Which brings us to the third part of our lesson, verses 20 and 21. Let's look at it carefully again. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And when you think about Paul and you think about the Philippians, his Roman citizenship was a real valuable asset in the first century. If you and I were traveling in another country and that country respected our nation and we say, I'm a citizen of the United States, here's my passport, I want to show you who I am and I want to go home. That citizenship would be important to us. Well, in Paul, he asserted his Roman citizenship here in Philippi. Do you remember when he had cast a spirit of divination out of this young lady in Acts chapter 16? And how they had had Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into a prison there? And how that they had been released and the Philippian jailer was converted. And now it's the next day and they're ready to take Paul and Silas and release them. But now listen to verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. And they have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. You know that kind of statement must have made those officials quake in their boots because you didn't treat Roman officials, you didn't treat Roman citizens that way. They had a higher level of protection. In fact, it meant that one had rights from unjust punishment. You couldn't just beat a Roman and throw him in prison. He had to go through a trial, and they didn't do that. In fact, one had the ability to appeal all the way to Caesar. And these people here have beaten and mistreated Paul and Silas. See, Philippi was a colony. If you're a colony, you don't answer to the local officials. You answer all the way to the emperor. And that's the reason why many soldiers settled here. Acts 16, verse 12 says... And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost part of Macedonia, a colony. And 
And so there is where Paul asserted his Roman citizenship. But Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, we're not talking about earthly people. Do you remember Jesus when he was before Pilate and Pilate was asking him if he were a king? He was asking Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And here's why Jesus responded. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. My kingdom is not from here. Though you and I are here on this earth, this is not our ultimate dwelling place. I know there's a lot of misinformed and misunderstood brethren who are saying, yeah, we're going to live here on earth. But our citizenship is not here. The Lord's kingdom is not here. It's just like Abraham and Sarah said that they were strangers. They were pilgrims. They were foreigners trotting through this sinful world. But our citizenship is in heaven. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When Paul is asserting to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, that's where we belong. And thus he says, we eagerly wait. We don't just wait, we eagerly wait. I've been privileged several times to travel overseas. I love going to Israel. I love going to Turkey. love going to Greece. love see those places where Peter and Paul and John and Jesus walked. But I can tell you every time they have an airplane going back to the United States, I get on it and I am thrilled when that plane lands in the United States. I eagerly wait for the opportunity to return. Hebrews 9 and verse 28 says, For Christ also suffered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Jesus is going to come back again. And when he comes back again, it's not going to be to shed his blood for the sins of mankind. That's already been done. It will be coming to receive us to himself. In Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, it describes this hope we have. For we were saved in hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for it, what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Eagerly wait for it. There will be a day coming, whether we are alive or whether we have passed and are going to be resurrected, that you and I will be able to leave this old sinful world, this old world that is filled with sickness and death and corruption, to go to a place of extreme beauty in the very presence of God. We will get to go home when Jesus returns at the resurrection. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection, I really love the way he brings it together in verses 50 through 54. 
Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. That's when we win. That's when all of our life's goals and aspirations find fulfillment. Well, that's my motivation. I see two mindsets. I see two different models. And then I see a motivation. My motivation is to get to go to heaven. You can gain a heavenly citizenship as well. There are borders and there are walls. There are rules for a person to be able to have admittance into that heavenly citizenship. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It is through faith and by being baptized that you gain that heavenly citizenship. The Lord adds you to his church, the kingdom which is not of this world. We started out singing when the roll is called up yonder. What role? Is your name on the roll? Is your name written there? The benefits of this citizenship are out of this world. And that's literal. It's out of this world. It's in the next world. It's an eternity with God. It's being in paradise with a new body. It is eternal life. What a wonderful privilege we have now to be able to sing a song of encouragement. To encourage you to make heaven your home, to have your citizenship there. And if you want to become a child of God through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, tonight we'll assist you. Come forward. When we sing the song, we'll assist you in becoming a child of God. And if your reservations have been in heaven, but yet you've not been living like that, come back and be restored to faithfulness. We're going to sing while Jesus whispers to you, and if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, please come as together we stand and sing.